Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome along to the BMTV Rugby Pod. As always, I'm joined by Alan Quinlan and Matt Williams. Great to have Ian McKinley with us today as well. Well, Alan, it's been a week on since that cracking game, Ireland v France. Stats were off the charts. Have you had a bit of time to dissect it and what overall did you make of it? Yeah, it was an incredible performance from, from both sides. I think obviously Ireland scoring four tries, winning the game. Uh, bonus point win against a very powerful French side. Um, the stats, as you mentioned, were you know crazy. Ireland kicked the ball 39 times, Wales 37. So I think you would think if you heard those stats and hadn't seen the result that it was it was a boring game. But lots of people saying it was one of the best games they'd seen in years in the Northern Hemisphere. So um, it was a wonderful game. Ireland were really brilliant. Um, lots of kicks in it, but they were tactical kicks. And there was a lot of kick tennis went on. Um the ball wasn't out, uh, you know, in, in, in the stands a lot. Um, and I think tactically Ireland got it right. I think if France look back at the game, they'll probably uh, be a bit regretful about certain aspects. Um, they didn't get many entries into that that Ireland 22. I think they had only 57 seconds there. So um, and it was a breakaway try from Penno. So they weren't able to build any sustainable pressure. But... Um, it was a it was a crazy game, wasn't it? And uh, from an Irish point of view, a very very pleasing performance. Given that you know both sides are missing a couple of players, um, but psychologically for Ireland, it was a big win. Matt, as good as test match have you seen in a long time? Yeah, first half in particular, Stu was as good as anything I've ever seen. It was uh, like Alan Alan's showing out stats there, and and it, what what makes it such an unusual game is the stats it produced are just mad. Like Alan, Alan saying you you you're saying France are in Ireland's twenty two for fifty seven seconds. Like if you read that, you think oh they're going to get smashed, and and of course we know they didn't. And he's he's, he's all these crazy stats. So so we can't take a lot out of them because they're all counterintuitive. There were two France made two hundred thirty five tackles, which is an amazing number with a ninety one percent success rate. So that's incredibly high, yet Ireland scored four tries. So it, it, there's all the stats. It's right. There's only five scrums. No penalties from scrums. The ball was liberated from every scrum. Um, you know, as Alan said, 76 kicks, 314 carries, 1,334 metres made with, with players carrying the ball. I mean, they're just mad numbers. And the ball was in play. I think it was. I think it was forty-seven. It might have been 40, 49 minutes. I think I, I'll settle on forty-nine. I haven't got my note there on it, but it's either forty-seven or forty-nine. Now, if you consider the Wallabies versus the box balls in play, twenty-nine. That's that's almost double what the ball was in play for the majority of games we've seen in the last five years. Not quite double, but but close enough 
to round off the double. That That is all done because of the mindset of the players and coaches. They all went at it. They wanted to keep the ball on the field. As Alan said, they didn't kick for touch. Even though there was a lot of kicks, it was exciting kicks. It was dramatic. And it was, a, it was just a great game. And I think the score didn't really reflect the game. I think France will really rue three or four chances they had. It's got to be said, unbelievably good scrambling Irish defence stopped them. But they could have been even much closer, uh, especially that one with DuPont, who was simply, simply brilliant in a boot inside, like uh, one of the most masterful displays I've ever seen from a nine. When he kicked there and he had Peno outside him, I think he could have passed. Alan and I have had this debate. I think he could have passed. There was a passing channel there, and I think if Peno had got it, he would have scored. But he didn't. But but my point is, it was even closer than the um, the score saying four tries to one would suggest it was all Ireland's way. It wasn't. So a brilliant game, amazing statistically, and um, long may we get have more games with the ball in play for that for that length of time. You're definitely in a ball and play time. I think. <laughs> It is 46 minutes. I think that, that is what it actually came out at on the day. But that's a crazy stat, isn't it? Yeah, it's 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 mammoth. And I think, you know, from a supporter's point of view, that's what people want to watch. They want to watch that game. I think that's what World Rugby are. Obviously, with the different rules they've been implementing in the last couple of years, that's what they 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 want to bring. That's sort of the spectacle that they want to bring to, to an audience. And, you know, long may it continue because it just showcases these wonderful players that are playing in, in, in the best light, uh, in the best light possible. And it was simply a joy. I mean, you can, you know, from a, a rugby purist, uh, romantic point of view, you can throw in, you know, the Babas against New Zealand in 1973, New Zealand, when, you know, they played that wonderful game in 2000, you know, you could honestly throw that game that Ireland France won in with one of the great, uh, one of the great test games. It was just a pure joy. And I think Ireland, obviously in the last couple of years, have maybe struggled with the French, uh, physicality um you know and i think ireland have found now a way uh, after a couple of defeats in the last uh, previous years of how to uh, beat this french team and that is keeping that ball in play uh, and making the french forwards move because you saw you know hugo keenan kaylan doris uh, even you know finley Beelham, ty burn all these guys flourishing uh, and then in particular, you know, the bench coming on in that last part of the game uh, just showed what a strong position Ireland are, are in. But yeah, totally agree with, with with what Matt was saying. You know, four tries to one. Yeah, you could say Ireland uh, completely uh, dominant in some way. But, you know, that's what made it so exciting that at any point, you know, France could have made a break and got a try. And that's how close they were uh, potentially to, uh, to making it an even closer scoreline. Alan, Ian touched on it there, the Ireland bench, Bundyaki, Ross Byrne, Tom O'Toole, Jack Conan, Ian Henderson, like Andy Farrell also mentioned how good you know they were. What did you make of them coming on? Such a big impact. Probably the most pleasing one was Tom O'Toole. I think it would respect to the others. I think um it's um it's it's a position that we're you know a little bit concerned about. Obviously when when Tyke Furlong has been such Playing at such a high level for so long and and um, world class, I think. And Finley Bealham has stepped up now that he's been injured. And I think for for Tom O'Toole coming into the bench, um, it's it was brilliant to see him uh, moving around the field and and you know making carries and and being an Im- bringing an impact. I think obviously there wasn't that many scrums, so you know. Times can be different as well, and and the challenge can be can be different for him. But um, 
I thought it was, uh, you know, really good impact from him. I think the rest of the bench, um, Ian Henderson coming on for Ty Byrne, I think he's still um, a little bit off of where we know Ian Henderson can be. Um, he's still a brilliant player, very experienced, a big leader in the team. Jack Conan off the bench as well brings impact. So I think that's a really important part of 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 the what's happened here in, in the last two years is trying to build some depth. Andy Farrell has capped, um, I think it's th- over 30 players since the last cycle in the, in the World Cup. So since he took over from Joe Schmidt and, and I think he selected late 60s uh, in the players he's he's given up, uh, you know, played. So he's made lots of changes and we're in a good position now that, you know, you have impact coming off the bench. Um I, I still think there's some young players that can really put their hands up in the next couple of weeks and, and and fight for a World Cup spot. And not just fight for a World Cup spot, be really kind of close to getting in the team. Um, so, you know, overall, I think what's happening at the bench is really positive at the moment. And when you play a side like France and you see the pace in the tempo of the game, it was, I was just checking when boys were chatting there. It was 46 minutes, 10 seconds was the ball in play time, which is phenomenal. It's crazy. Um, so if I, the way Ireland want to play, um, you know, and the way the modern game is gone, the bench we see, it's so important for, for, for teams to be successful now. And it's that kind of value and, and quality you're bringing off the bench. And I think at the moment, Ireland are, are getting a good group. We heard Johnny Sexton speak about Portugal when they went 15 and 15. And, uh, quality of both sides, the attacking quality and the intensity of the, that particular training session that we're talking about. So it's about getting people up to speed and really being not happy when they're not selected and really kind of make the coaches sit up and think. And I'm sure Matt would agree as a former coach, he's still a current coach because um, you're still doing some coaching, Matt. You want those headaches of people knocking at your door and, and and uh, having that depth and opportunity to change things up when when, when things when you're you know struggling in a game, um, so at the moment I think it's um, Ireland's depth, and it's in particular it's that tight head spot. I think with Ty Burn out now, there's obviously a decision to be made about does Joe McCarthy come into the bench, does Ryan Baird come into the bench, or either of them maybe did it go straight into the team? Of the obvious kind of. Assumption would be Ian Henderson goes in and plays with James Ryan and, and somebody comes onto the bench. But I just think the athleticism of, of of Ryan Baird and the freakish athleticism and the way he's been playing with Leinster, he could be a bit of a, not a surprise, but he could be someone that could go straight into the team as well. Um, so the bench has been pretty strong and, and that's what Andy Farrell will be pleased about. Yeah, we'll touch on selection next week, but um, Matt, if we have a crystal ball and we say Ireland play France in six months' time in a quarter final, well, which way do you see that going? How does that differ from last Saturday? Well, it's interesting, Stu. Ireland have got one more home game between now and next Six Nations, and all our France have only got one away game between now and next Six Nations. So both of both teams play England. Uh, France, France in London, and uh, Ireland in Dublin, and uh, the World Cup will be a very, very different piece. There's a, there's a lot of water to go under the bridge, you know, injuries, you know, how they get through the pool stages and so on. Um, but uh, you'd have to say, uh, at home, I still think France are favourites for the World Cup, but Ireland having beaten them so uh, 
brilliantly. And as Ian uh, touched on, this myth, and I call it a myth, of Ireland not being able to cope with bigger teams because of what Leinster, how, how Leinster have lost games and Ireland in France last year. But they are, I just think they've got their tactics wrong and their running lines wrong. And I think there was an oversimplification, oversimplification of a more complex problem. And Ireland are solving that problem. Now, on a, on a byproduct, as an old Leinster man, that's quite good for Leinster as well. Because I think, I think there's no doubt, as I, I think I said on the pod last week, um, Sean Edwards told me on the sideline at the Heineken Cup final that he thought La Rochelle had a plan to, that would beat Leinster. And I have no doubt that that plan was hatched in a little bit of collaboration with the French boys as well, the French coaches. And France tried to do that. And what did Ireland do? They switched it on its head. And that plan was basically keep the ball away from Leinster, make them tackle. And the, 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 the tackle stats in, in Paris last year against France and against Leinster in Marseille against uh, La Rochelle were basically the opposite. Leinster were forced to do a lot of tackling, as was Ireland. And Ireland have found a way to switch that, to give them their own tactic back and create this incredible amount of possession. Make your tackles, move them around, don't kick the ball out, keep it in play, and it worked. So I think the French will go away and have to really reconsider how they play Ireland because they contributed, because they didn't want to kick the ball out either because they wanted, didn't want to give Ireland their line out because the Ireland love line outs to launch their attack. So it was a really martial, it was like a chess game between the coaches and Ireland came out on top. I think in the, in the, in the, to really distill it down, Ireland will have incredible belief, Stewie. That's the main thing. They've beaten New Zealand, beaten South Africa, beaten Australia, beaten everyone. And now they've beaten the best team in the world that we, I consider going into the World Cup in the home ground. It's a huge, huge advantage and Ireland are in a, a really great spot. However, <laughs> guarantees nothing. It guarantees nothing, but it does put Ireland in a great position. In a man ride the heart of the Irish success, Hugo King signed a new three-year deal earlier this week. How, how much better can he get, can he? Yeah, gee, he's been one of the standout uh, Irish players over you know the last year and a half, two years. He just, you know, and such big shoes to fill with, you know, Rob Carney only leaving a short time ago and, you know, one of the great Irish players and, and he's just slotted into that position. Uh, so effort is, uh, you know, with, with the most minimum amount of effort and he, uh, you know, fully deserves that you know, three-year contract. And I think, did I see an article saying, you know, that he, there's a picture of Hugo in BlackRock playing with the under 14 Cs. So it's a testament to show how you just, you, you keep at it and you keep going and, uh, and, and he's come through the sevens program as the first, you know, Irish sevens player to, to get a central contract. So um, I think it's it's no more than he deserves. And the, the really impressive thing about him is, is is he doesn't get anything wrong. He really is not making he's not putting a foot wrong in anything. His positional sense is unbelievable. His um, his decision making, his uh, attacking threats, both, um, you know, kicking passing his aerial ability he would be a complete player uh, and obviously very important for uh, Ireland going forward and I think this is something that Farrell I think deserves a huge amount of credit for that you can really see James Ryan Gary Ringrose um, these players you know even though that they're still young players I mean Keenan's still what 26 but you can really see that he is a, 
a leader uh, on the field and he's bringing through leaders and and I think that has been the the shortcoming for Ireland in the in the past couple of World Cups because obviously when you lose such important players like Ireland have done you know these guys are stepping up to the plate and just touching a little bit there on what Matt said you know come World Cup time if Ireland were you know to play France it's much better uh, I agree with everything he said it's much better Ireland been in this position though and winning these games going into a World Cup. Uh, you would much rather have these more positive outcomes than not, obviously. Um, but come World Cup time, you know, uh, if you, you get that game, Ireland-France, it will be a colossal game. And uh, as Matt said, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of things that can happen between now and then, but certainly Ireland are going in uh, in a really good direction. Yeah, they are. We'll touch more on Ireland in the preview next week ahead of Italy. Alan, I suppose the big talking point this week is in Wales. Two defeats, players walking out of a sponsor's dinner earlier this week. Talk of strike, not playing against England. Alan Wynne-Jones saying, you know, yesterday if you treat people badly for long enough, this is where you get to. That whole, you know, it seems to be such a big mess between the WRU and the regions and the players' salary. Like, what do you make of it all? It's a real sad situation, isn't it? (laughs) It's a very difficult one um, because I think uh, it's the last thing they need need is need at the moment. Obviously, they've had other issues in previous weeks um, about you know um, working conditions in the WRU and lots of stuff coming out there, which was uh, unsavoury and 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 timing of it terrible right before Six Nations. So it seems like they've a lot of challenges and issues going on. Um, this one is obviously financial, and it's um, uh, financial issues with with uh, uh, the money that the WRU give to the regions, um, and also then that has a knock on effect in what what the the players are paid and the salaries they're paid. So, I know from a player's point of view that you know if you're coming into the final year of your contract, you're negotiating November, December, hoping to put it to bed before Christmas. Um, knowing that you're either moving on or you're signing a new contract and it gives everyone time to get their squads together and, and know who's available from. Um, when you're in February and guys have a couple of months left in their contracts and they're not sure whether, where they're going. And I listened to Alan Wynne Jones yesterday speaking about, you know, players uh, now being in a position where it's becoming more difficult if they have to move because, in France, in the UK, um, in the provinces here, you know, it's standard practice that they try and get their business done pre-Christmas and they make their announcements kind of end of January, start of February, and these deals are done weeks ago. Um, so it's it's a tough one. It's a tough situation. The players, I feel for them um, because, you know, that security of, of knowing where you're going to be next year, where you're living, a lot of them have kids and partners and wives and stuff like that. So it's a big knock-on effect the reality here though is um they have financial issues so the agreements that are kind of in principle in place with the regions that are being proposed um they're reduced and the money is reduced and they've had pay cuts and and i know matt is going to talk more about that Uh, but it's a really messy situation and it's the last thing you need with your team losing the first game to Ireland, then losing comprehensively a record score in Murrayfield. So, um, I don't know, Warren Gatlin is probably scratching his head saying, "What? what why did I come back here? Um, I, 
I'm I'm saying that in jest. I don't think he is, but I think there's a lot of issues here and problems. Um, part of one of the statements from the WRU, in which the PRB chairman, the Players Professional or the board, announced that the Professional Rugby Board, sorry, the PRB, they put out a statement which was um, seen as being disrespectful and and disappointed by the players' union. Uh, the new agreement offers a complete funding package to the professional game in Wales, but it does come with financial limitations, which will directly affect salary negotiations. So, in other words, um, and he says the cold facts are that the WRU and the clubs have been paying salaries that their businesses cannot afford. So it's totally down to money here. So, in other words, if you're running a business and you're paying your staff uh, more than you can afford... And that's what it is. So it's it's a shame to see because um, you know we've we've a great connection with Welsh players, clubs in the URC um, at international level. I have lots of friends who played and are still playing for Wales. Um, so it's sad to see, and the players are stuck in the middle here, and they've got to stick up for themselves and know their market value and. Obviously, they make decisions then about whether they will take a pay cut. Another one, um, I just think Alan Wynne Jones was, was, he looked angry yesterday. He looked really disappointed at what's going on. So um, it's a really tough situation and it's sad to see. Yeah, Matt, from all intents and purposes, it seems to be, you know, a cut of COVID, 20%, as you're going to speak on it, another 20% maybe cuts. Like, you just got to feel so sorry for the players. Sure, it's all about governance, and Welsh rugby has had poor governance for, you know, getting on two decades now. Um, you know, the whole situation of of when the, the Celtic League, as it was in two thousand and one, kicked off. The, the the decision to then after combine Welsh teams, so for you know the, the Ospreys are Swansea and Neath, who hated each other. Unbelievable rivalry, never got on. There was a fight at every match. I played for Swansea, so I, know, I can show you the scars. But the, the, the other part is they would draw 15,000 at St Helens, which was Swansea's home ground, 15,000 people. You know, and you, you go to the Nile at Neath. It, it, I can't remember the exact figures, but the, the joint was packed. You, you'd go to Clenethley and, and play at, at Stratty Park, the beautiful Stratty Park. It would be heaving. I know Alan's played there. It's a fantastic place. You go to the new grounds now. With the new franchises, they're getting two thousand people to these things. It is a financially unsustainable model. So if Leinster and Munster and Ulster, if, if they're only getting two thousand, like we wouldn't have the success, and we'd have a crisis on our hands in Ireland. Now we don't, but this is because they've lost the Welsh public, and this is all about governments and leadership from the top. And Alan's right. It, it you know, like at a business, it, at a certain point, it becomes unsustainable, and Welsh rugby's hit that. Now, they should have intervened in this many, many, many years ago. Um, I, I literally bumped in to a former Welsh uh, player yesterday who's, who's still playing here in France. Um, I've known him for many years. And he told me exactly what you said. So this is factual that the players took 20% during COVID and they've been asked to take another 20% now. That's a 40% cut and we all know the cost of living has gone through the roof. And, and uh, you know, when they come out and say the average a player gets is 100000 when everyone, someone says average, my ears go up because that means someone at the top is getting a lot of money 
and the boys down the bottom might be on 30, 40,000 pounds before tax. So the players are in a lot of strife. Uh, where do they go to? What do they do? What's their motivation? Uh, can they get another gig somewhere? Can they get another contract? And I can see why Alan Wynne-Jones is upset because he's a guy who's given his life to Welsh rugby. Given it, no one could give more than he's gone. He's an absolutely inspirational man and a, and a guy to admire for every reason. The way he's conducted himself, the way he's played off the field, the way he's conducted himself, his leadership. And he's seen something he's given his life for crumbling. And, uh, you know, I, I, I know he feels because I've seen that in Australia. I've seen that happen in Australia. And that's all about the boardroom at the, at the national level. The boardroom in Australian rugby for two decades or a bit under let the game down. Now they've, now they've picking themselves up off the floor. They are picking themselves off the floor. So it's not terminal for Welsh rugby, but there is a lot of pain to, to have. And as I said on, on the TV show, uh, on our TV show last week when we were covering the game, I don't believe Welsh rugby has hit rock bottom yet. I think there is still some falling to go, which is, makes me very, very sad for all the reasons Alan said. I played there, a lot of friends. I, I, I'm in Irish rugby through Mike Ruddock because I played with Mike in, in Swansea. And Mike got me to Leinster. That's how I got to Ireland. So, you know, to see Welsh rugby where it is, not good. it's not good for any of us, but it's, it's heartbreaking as well. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ian, you've retired a couple of years. Contract time around, as Alan said, November, December. Probably always an interesting and one you always want to get sorted, but this takes it to a new level for these players with the new contracts and not knowing where they're going to be. Yeah, you, 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 as Alan said, you try to get everything sort of sewed up uh, before Christmas time. And I think I think there's around 70 players, uh, you know, who are out of contract with Wales next year. And, and when you when you think of that, you, you, you know, put it puts it in some sort of scale. You know, you could have an exodus of, of those players, which would just be a huge hit for Wales. Um, but it, it's just it's almost the tip of the iceberg, you know, with everything that's happened recently and. It's just a really sad situation because everything in some ways is coming on to the performances on the pitch. I think we've been so disappointed with uh, with Wales in the last two performances, even particularly the, the Scotland one. They just look like a team that is sort of deflated almost, that all these uh, exterior things are really... Uh, mounting to to pressure on their shoulders and you know for someone like Alwyn Jones you know one of the greatest players to have ever played I'm sure coming into his 
last World Cup, this is the last thing that you want to be dealing with uh, going into, you know, the most important competition, you know, every four years. Uh, this is the last thing they want to be dealing with. And you you read things of, you know, with the Netflix uh, coverage, you know, uh, being kicked out of, of meetings and everything like that. It is just not a not a happy camp. And yeah, I think Wales uh, are really, you know, hopefully that there's no strike action. Uh, for the next game, I think against England, um, Alwyn said that that's going to be the last uh, last case, basically that they don't want that to happen. But a hugely uh, frustrating period for the Welsh players, I can imagine. If, if yeah, they well, strike, uh, if they strike for the England Wales game or the Wales England game, and it doesn't go ahead, that's going to cost them millions. So the last thing they need to do, uh, and I know that's that's the players who are you know very very fed up. But I really hope that that doesn't happen. Obviously, the Six Nations is messed up then as well. Um, but, you know, the financial implications could be even worse. So hopefully they can make some progress. They need investment, Matt. I, I, I think they need someone to underwrite them or support them or whether it be a financial institution and get, get money and lots of stuff that has to happen probably in the Welsh game. Um, hopefully it happens because they're... they're you know, you don't want to see that going on with another nation, and and particularly as our neighbours, um, it's 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 kind of sad to see at the moment. Yeah, it seems that things need change, and let's hope it happens rather quickly if it can. Alan, if we bring it back to the rugby, um, Ian touched on there Scotland for a bit. Um, can they go to Paris and get a win? They did it a couple of years um, ago. Yeah, they did it a couple of years ago, and and they seem to you know throw. Like if they're the Scotland are a side that if you give them time and space, they're very dangerous and they grow in confidence. I think there's a little bit of um, resilience after increasing in this side. Um, not, you know, we've always spoke about being, them being inconsistent and producing performances. But last week they were um, they were pretty ruthless in that second half, and I think um, they'll fancy their chances going to Paris. I think. You know, France, obviously you've got to be tactically right. And you asked the question to Matt, do, do Ireland win in Paris if that same game is? I think France will learn a lot from that game. I think tactically, um, they've been so strong at their kicking game and their pressure game. And then when they get into the, the kind of scoring zones, absolutely ruthless. Uh, that's not to say they can't go the length of the field and score. They have that ability as well. But I just think they, they got a little bit frantic last week against Ireland and didn't play to their strengths. And... You know, territorially, Ireland won that battle hands down. So, France are going to be better. That's the bad news for for Scotland. But if you kind of, if they get some sort of parity up front and get their set piece right, um, deliver good quality ball to their backline, I think they they have players that can cause, and probably a game plan that can cause France some problems. But it's a big ask, isn't it? It's 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 another step that they, you know, Gregor Townsend will want to go and. You know, you couldn't dismiss the notion of I'm going to Paris completely, but it's going to be very difficult. Matt, we spoke three weeks ago. And to be fair to you, I'll give you your credit. You said there's a chance Scotland could go three from three. And who knows, Matt Williams could be right. <laughs> there's a chance. Uh, I, look, uh, let's, let's give, you know, the Scots credit. Um, the second half was superb last week, and, and that was their challenge, you know, they They've never backed it up. Like the stats were amazing. It's been 30 years since they won the opening two games. Since '86, the week after they beat England, they've lost 
every game, the next game after they beat in England since 1986. So, you know, the, the consistency has been the problem. But they, they answered it. I, I thought Finn Russell was quite superb in the second half. The first, let's, let's, let's also say the first half was ordinary, to say the least. But the second half was great. Now, they, they, and, and Russell was superb. He got his hip square. His vision was great. His short kicking game was incredible. His passing game. He underplayed his hand uh, while still producing some glimpses of brilliance. But he, he, the, the trouble with Russell was he, he forces his X factor sometimes. He has got an X factor, but that should just flow. And when you force it, it doesn't work. But I think the big thing with Scotland is the leadership under Richie, and the 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 players are very much playing with a different mindset under Richie. I think he's a bit of a tough old character, and I don't mind that. Uh, I, I think um, when Stuart Hogg and uh, uh, the boys went out for a few beers after a game when they weren't supposed to, I think the rest of the team lost respect for them. And Richie's taken control, and they have a different attitude, and they're pushing it differently off the field and on the field, and I think that's really helped Finn Russell because he might be getting a kick in the bum from his captain now, uh, which isn't a bad thing. The, the interesting part was, of course, Russell plies his trade with Racing in France, so the French play him every week, know his strengths, know his weaknesses, but it, it, and the other side, Russell knows them as well. So I, I think it's going to be a really good game. Odds are stacked against, uh, against Scotland, for sure. There's no two ways about that. But this Scotland team uh, have shown they're capable of, of really playing some good rugby uh, against against quality sides. So I think they're taking steps forward as a, as a group, but this is going to be their biggest test for sure. Yeah, it certainly is, Ian. If we touch on Finn Russell, what was his words after the game? I just did my job and made everyone else look good. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a typical Finn uh, Russell statement, but he's, he's backing up what he's, what he's doing at the moment. And I think from someone who's played in a, you know, in an out-half role, uh, maybe obviously not as glamorous a, a player as as he is, but he his maturity that he's bringing to the game now, in comparison to last year, even two years ago, uh, is really impressive. And obviously, all the issues with Gregor Townsend have obviously been resolved. And whether that's been uh, Gregor, maybe you know, uh, realizing that you know Finn is a a free spirit, and Scotland will play better if if he's able to uh, to dictate play and pick holes and pick gaps. Even if you look at a couple of the the tries in that second half, you know the couple of cross field kicks, his offload just close to the line. I mean, he is a, a massive threat. Uh, I think for that Scotland France game, it has all the ingredients of being a really good game. Um, and and Quinny sort of touched on it the the steeliness with Scotland now, and I think Steve Tandy deserves a huge amount of credit the Scottish uh, defense coach they just seem to have a bit of bite about them you know Fagerson even Richie Gray coming back after a few years of not playing international rugby has been so impressive um, and it's almost like that they are a collective group uh, and they're fighting for a bigger cause I know there's been everything with Dottie Weir and whether they're playing for that as well as everything else, but they just seem a really tight-knit group and with Finn Russell pulling the strings you know they could uh, pull off a, uh, a a big win against France, why not? But uh, I'm sure France uh, or Scotland will not be thanking uh, Ireland for beating France because I'm sure they'll have the bit between the teeth uh, and they'll they'll be wanting to uh, to straighten out that record. 
Yeah, Ian, if we just stay with you, uh, your old team Italy, one step mm-hmm. forward against France and maybe two back, you were on co-coms against England. What did you make of them at Twickenham? Yeah, uh, I don't think it was two steps back. Obviously, when you lose 31-14, um, you're obviously not going to be happy. It was, you know, 12 points in it with the, with the last 10 minutes to go and, and England just strangled Italy in terms of their physicality and, you know, did deserve to win. Um, but I definitely don't think it's two steps back for the reason being, I think that Kieran is implementing a really positive style of play with Italy and they might have got, you know, caught out a, a couple of times at Twickenham just with the line speed and playing too much ball. But that's the way that they obviously are identifying that they want to play. And these young backs, you know, we talk about Italy traditionally with forward power and, you know, scrum line out, 10-man game potentially. But, you know, you've got Capuozzo, uh, Menoncello, like these, like Capuozzo in particular, like he, he really got scraps at the weekend and he's such an exciting talent for such a small player. He's able to jink his way through the smallest amount of space to uh, to create opportunities. So I think, you know, they will look at uh, that physical battle that they lost quite easily to to England. Um, but I think, again, they'll go, you know, if, you, if you're to look historically, Italy have never beaten England in the Six Nations. And, you know, I've been on the drubbing of, of a big loss in, in Twickenham and it, it's not exactly a happy stomping ground. So to be in with it, I won't say, you know... The, but it was there or thereabouts, you know, 10 minutes, 12 points, you're looking at a score. I think Kieran will sort of cling on to that, but no, obviously there's areas that they need to, they need to improve on. But I think you want to have a competitive Italy. If you're going first round, losing by five points uh, to France, you would have, from a neutral standpoint, I'm sure you would have taken it. 10 minutes to go, being 12 points down at Twickenham with a score, potentially to, to close the gap, you would have gone, you, you would have taken it. But I'm sure... I'm sure the coaches will be looking at more of the, those specific areas to to work on for the game against Ireland, which will be a a completely different task because I think Ireland are just playing on a you know two three levels above of where England are at at the minute. I think you know England's I think I've said it before in, in the last couple of weeks just their their attack has just been so poor and I don't think um, I don't think that changed even in in the game against Italy. If you look at all the tries, it was just basically malls apart from Arundel uh, with, with a try at the end. So I think uh, Steve Borthwick uh, is still obviously finding his way and this England team is finding finding their way in uh, test level un- under his uh, leadership. Alan, if Italy are to cause Ireland problems, is it out wide? Um, I think their collective has improved a lot. So um, obviously Ian mentioned Capuzzo and Manoncello. Uh, Ignacio Brex is a is a really good player as well. I think um, I think if they can get Garbisi back, it'll help them a little bit. Um, and obviously they're at home, so they have some serious threats out wide and, and really good players in the back line. But their back row and, and loose forwards, second rows, they're they're very competitive as well. So they have um, it's nothing's changed at this front. You're always going to get a very competitive, aggressive, physical, passionate. Italian player in front of you. It's just, um, and I think Kieran has done a really good job in in developing their 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 confidence, their belief, their execution has been so much better. And you know, just because um, England England can do to anybody on their day physically overpower you at times, and they were very direct um, uh, in tries and tweaking them against Italy um, that's the rock Ireland will perish on if they think they can go to to Rome next week and um, 
you know, ease their way into the game and and think it's going to be easy. And they'll sense a real opportunity here, and they'll be absolutely gunning to try and, you know, they've got Wales at home as well to 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 knock Ireland or Wales over. And um, that's the challenge that Ireland will face all the time now um, when they play anyone. So um, Italy are, are, you know, they have some very dangerous play, players. Their captain Lamar is a great player as well, and he's a real good leader for them. So. Um, lots of threats. Um, I collectively they've improved a lot. But if you kick loose or and you give Capuzzo any sort of uh, space and time, he can really punish you. So I think, yeah, um, in the back line they can really hurt Ireland if they get opportunities. Matt, um, Alan touched on England there. You know that win against Italy. Did you see big enough improvements from them from week one against Scotland to Italy? to maybe challenge Ireland in round five? Mate, the smallest book in the world is the English attacking playbook. It's got kick and maul written in it. That's, uh, and that's it. It's, it's one page, two words. Mate, they were... And, mate, the refereeing in that game was, was very, very poor. England were... Mario Tojo was offside. At one point, I wrote it down, 23-minute mark, there was about five phases in a row of the whole um, English... Uh, defensive line was offside, at least a step in front of the last hind feet. There's, and that's when they were hitting the first Italian ball receiver, just constantly hitting him, hitting him, hitting him, hitting him. And they were offside. Just, just, and they were never penalised. Mate, at scrum time, with the new laws, the break foot laws, the hooker's got to have a front foot forward. All the props on the English, both English props, had their feet so far back, so they have the, the hooker's holding them up with his foot forward, that when he releases... They launch into the engagement. They almost like it's like going back to the 1990s of the diving engagement. One, it's dangerous, but two, it was collapsing, and the referee kept penalising the Italians. And you're just looking at going, mate. It's not the Italians. That's look at their foot position. Look how they're engaging. So there was really poor refereeing in the game. Now all those pet scrum penalties were kicked to touch, and they mauled. I mean, it was horrible. Um, um, Owen Farrell did some great kicks and did some short a short kicking game in behind the Italians that hurt them. They did a 50-20, uh, did a brilliant 50-20. They got them in position. They scored from that. And, and as Ian said, Arundel scored a nice try with, with a few passes. But, wow, you know, services to insomnia. It was horrific. And I can't see them. There's nothing in what I'm seeing there to say they're going to change. They are going back to their real basic roots of scrum, line out, more kick, and we'll, we'll defend with our, our as close to offside as we can. And to their credit, they did it really well. But it's, a, it's, it's just an awful way to play the game. Like, you know, we watched this beautiful, glorious game on Saturday and then to be forced to watch what we had to do at Sunday was uh, on everything, on refereeing. It takes a good referee to get a good game. Now, Barnes got a lot of a lot of cr- a criticism that I, did, I thought was unjustified. I think the system let Barnes down, but he produced a good game. The game on Sunday was just whistle, 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 reset, 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 penalty, penalty. It was an abomination in some ways. The Italians, to their credit, for a good period of second half, when the referee stopped penalising them and stopped, it kept the English in, the, in their box, the Italians came out and played some really good rugby. And they look, as Alan said, like... A lot more comfortable with the ball in hand, a lot more co- uh, coordinated as a collective in attack and did some really good things. Nice tries 
and threaten for some other tries. But as far as England goes, mate, if they turn up at the Aviva playing like that, they'll, they'll get their bum smacked well and truly. They have got a long, long way to improve. They need this Welsh game. If the Welsh players uh, strike, it will really damage England. They need games to get going because right now they're, they're, they're not in, in first gear. They're in neutral. Matt, or Ian, sorry, what do you make of Matt's comments there? The tacking playbook hasn't even got a chapter in it by the sounds of it. Do you think there's a few more chapters in it? Yeah, well, I mean, I've, I've called two of the games and um, obviously Borthwick went with Marcus Smith, Farrell Axis for the first game. He then went to Farrell and Ollie Lawrence as, as um, you know, as the next combination. So I, th- I think he'll probably stick with that, to be honest. But yeah, it, it hasn't been pretty. And I think, you know, going forward, you know, England try they need to find something else uh, because I don't think it's going to be enough against the the bigger teams, you know, simply trying to outmaul a team like that. I mean, there's only really South Africa that, that maybe can do it, but they're, you know, they, they have a, a couple of extra strings to their bow and attack as well at times, whereas England really do. They just look flat. They look bereft of ideas and, and even, small little things. I was even watching the warm up, you know, before the Italy game and they were going through a few attack structures and they were getting things wrong, you know, even from an organizational standpoint, which I'm sure will, you know, hugely frustrate the the coaching staff. So, and and I can't imagine it's too complex because it doesn't look it. So I think just going forward from, from an England standpoint, yeah, they have to play this Wales, this Welsh game. Like you, you need momentum. They need to cling on to something. It's probably the game that they would, would have wanted the most, you know, if you were to pick any team to play now at the moment, definitely it would be uh, Wales. But, geez, they need to they need to up their level big time whenever it comes to that last weekend against Ireland. Great stuff. Right, lads, no predictions this week. I can tell you've got it. Alan, can anyone stop Ireland, though? They can, yeah, Scotland can. <laughs> um, no, but I think on paper Ireland in a good position. Um Scotland are going to be very, very dangerous in Murrayfield. It's going to be really difficult. I think Italy will call it, cause Ireland problems. Um, I think he'll, you know, it'll be pretty strong side that um, Andy Farrell will, will probably pick for the Italian game. He he he'll know what's coming there. It's going to be very, very physical game. But you'd imagine Ireland are in the driving seat if they can keep doing what they're doing and what we've seen so far in the Six Nations. Um, they're going to be hard to stop, but I just think that game in Murrayfield, there'll be there'll be absolutely nothing in that game. It'll be very very tight, I think, and it's going to be a really tough task for Ireland. Um, so, yeah, I don't think they'll get carried away. Um, I still don't think. Um, talking about Grand Slams is it's the player still in me. You know, you don't want to look too far ahead. I think they've got to focus on on, on Italy, uh, but if they play like. We've seen, I think, of course, they can go and win a Grand Slam. Right, lads, as always, thanks for your thoughts, Al, Matt and Ian. Great to have you on, and we will catch up again next week.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.